Hello, and welcome to First Baptist Church. Let's pray together. Lord, in your presence, we thank you. We thank you for the rest that is available to all of us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're thankful for the way that the song our choir just sang reminds us that it is not all on us. Lord, it is not our goodness, our worth, our deeds that lead us to everlasting life in you. No, it is through Christ in us alone, by your grace and by your mercy. And so, Lord, today, it is in that mercy in which we stand, and it is in that mercy in which we rest. So through your word and by your spirit, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and draw us ever closer to you. Let us find our rest in you. We pray it trusting you in Jesus' name, amen. One of the great joys I find in gathering with you every Sunday and worshiping together with you is the reminder that this world is not all there is. And to look around and see your faces and to be stirred to love and good works by your encouragement and to get to encourage you to do the same, that's how God designed it. But sometimes we need a reminder that this world is not all there is. Because sometimes this world can get pretty heavy. Have you found that? Sometimes this world just weighs down on our shoulders, and it gets pretty heavy sometimes. We gather together, together every week as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ to recognize a couple things. One, to recognize that we're not walking this journey alone. Can I tell you in the name of Jesus, you're not alone. For if you are in Christ Jesus, your God is with you always. Your Lord is with you always. He promised He would be, and He is still today. But you also have brothers and sisters in Christ who are around you, who have been called and commissioned by God to be His hands and feet toward you. And it's a beautiful thing when we, we walk in unity, the unity of Jesus, helping one another, serving one another, lifting up one another, encouraging one another. The world is enough to bring us down. But we gather as believers to encourage one another and to find our rest in God. You know, the song our choir just sang, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me, even the title beckons us to find our rest in Jesus. That it's not all on me. It doesn't all depend on me. And sometimes it can feel like it all depends on me. But it doesn't all depend on me because he's God and I'm not. He's able and I can't. I am not. But as Andy Stanley would say, I know I am. I know the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I know the one who is, who is God over all, forever praised, and he has invited me to come and rest in him. Well, how do we do that? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're actually bringing our, service, our, our sermon series entitled, Help Me Pray, to a conclusion today by going back to the same passage with which we started. We're going to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 25 through 30. If you're in the room, the Pew Bible in front of you, that will be page 816. But we're going to go back to this passage, and instead of this time recognizing that Jesus' posture toward us is welcoming, he wants us to come to him, he invites us to come to him, we're actually going to look at the passage and see how he teaches us 
to find rest in him. So the theme for today's message is this. God invites us to rest in him when the world gets heavy, and it gets heavy. I'm looking around this room right now. There's people for whom it is uniquely heavy in this moment. Maybe that's because of a medical journey you're traveling through or the loss of a loved one that you're traveling through or the devastation in your campus that you're traveling through or things that nobody else in the world knows about, but you're feeling the pressure of it right now. Maybe you're trying to lead a city. Maybe you're trying to run a campaign. Maybe you're tr- There's all sorts of pressure. Maybe you're a mom trying to get kids ready to go back to school. Maybe you're a homeschool teacher getting ready to pull it all together. Maybe you're, we all have something. And in the midst of your something and in the midst of my something, this is the word that God gives us. Find your rest in me. Find your rest in me. Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 25. Matthew writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Matthew's a saved tax collector. He's a saved IRS agent who's cheating the system. But he came to Jesus and became new. He writes these things as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Our first point today is this. We rest in God when we embrace childlike faith. We rest in God when we embrace childlike faith. Jesus thanks his heavenly Father that God has hidden these things from those who would consider themselves wise and revealed them to children. Jesus has a thing for children. Have you noticed that? He loves the little children, all the little children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children. And a couple times in the Gospels, we see him interacting. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 6, Matthew tells us that at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's something. These 12 disciples gathering together, following Jesus, they've left everything to trust and follow Jesus, and they're concerned about who's the greatest. Who is it, Jesus? Is it Peter, James, John? They tend to spend a lot of time with you. Is it Mary Magdalene? You've done great things in her. Is it one of these people that you've healed? Who is the greatest? And what does Jesus do? He calls to himself a child, and he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then again in Mark chapter 10, you remember people were bringing children to Jesus so that he might bless them, and the disciples didn't think that was appropriate? Jesus has bigger fish to fry. Y'all go take care of the kids. Let him deal with the important stuff. And what did Jesus do? He rebuked his disciples. When Jesus saw what they were doing, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. In fact, that's one of the most beautiful elements of our salvation that when we come to Jesus and receive his gift of salvation like a child, he makes us children of God. 
John tells us in the prologue to his gospel, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So what does it mean to embrace a childlike faith? Well, Michael Wilkins, who's a professor at the Talbot School of Theology of Biola University, says this, the humility of a child consists of a childlike trust, vulnerability, and the inability to advance his or her own cause apart from the help, direction, and resources of a parent. Now, I forget when Griffin was little, and every milestone was the most important thing in the world. How many of you know, you remember that phase of parenthood? You wonder if they're ever going to, you know, I don't know, sit up, stand up, walk, speak. You know, my dad was worried to death that I would never start talking, and then once I started, he was worried to death that I'd never be quiet again. He may have been right. But I remember I was trying to get Griffin to learn how to stand up, and I would have him grab my fingers. Um, and he would grab them, and I would put them in my lap and just get him to stand up. And I was kind of pulling him up. And, and the thing that struck me was that I wasn't relying on his grasp on my fingers for his safety. No, I had taken these other three fingers, and I had wrapped them around his wrists. So he was holding my fingers, yes, but I was holding him with the rest of my hand. There was no way he was slipping out of my grip. And I was just trying to help him stand up. He was utterly dependent, and he didn't even realize it. He was holding on as tight as he could. And the entire time, I had him. Nothing was going to happen. And I thought, what an amazing illustration of faith. Sometimes we feel like we're holding on to God with all that we can muster. And we don't even realize he's got us. He's holding on to us, and he's not going to let us go. Our connection with him doesn't depend on the strength of our grip. No, our connection with him depends on God who has us in his hand, who through Christ has called us his children, and who will never let us go. And so you know what we can do? We can rest. We recognize our inability and his ability. We recognize that we cannot, but he can. We recognize that we are poor, needy sinners, and he is the almighty God of the universe. And get this, this is so vitally important. We recognize that he loves us. He cares for us. He has a hold of us and he's not going to let go. I mean, how many of you hearing that truth right now can just feel some of the weight coming off? It's not all on you. Even your relationship with God is not on you. It doesn't depend on your grip. It depends on his grace. And if you've received Jesus Christ, his grace has you in his grip, and nothing, the Bible says, can snatch you away from his hand. So, we embrace a childlike faith. Now, that's not a childish faith. There's a difference. A helpful clarification from Dr. Rusty Osborne, who teaches at the College of the Ozarks, said this. He said, embracing childlike faith means we accept that Christ's call to kingdom greatness looks like service and not harsh ruling, meekness and not selfish ambition, and continual dependence on God's grace. Anyone who has pursued service, meekness, and dependence will tell you that these characteristics don't come easily to sinners. In fact, true childlike faith sees the necessity of growth in these areas and turns to the one source of life and strength for help. 
It takes theologically driven, spirit-empowered wisdom and maturity to excel in these things. So it's not that we come to God in a childish way. No, we come in a childlike way, and there's a difference. Lord, I am utterly dependent upon you. Many years ago, somebody many of you know, some of you are good friends with him, Larnell Harris put out a song entitled Childlike Faith. And the chorus says, Oh, give me a childlike faith, trusting in you alone, believing each promise. Oh, give me a childlike faith with a heart so pure and a love that is faithful and true. Give me a childlike faith. And when we come to God, embracing a childlike faith, we find rest in Him. But now notice what else Jesus said. Matthew 11, verse 27 and verse 28. Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Our second point. We find rest in God when we come to Jesus. We find rest in God when we come to Jesus. Now, listen, before you tune me out and say, yeah, I did that a long time ago, coming to Jesus, of course, begins when we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I believe you're the Savior. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I trust you, and I will follow you. Yes, we come to Jesus in that moment, but listen, that's not a one-time thing. We come to Jesus every moment thereafter. His arms are still open to receive us. Even once we've begun a relationship with Him, He still says, come to me. Even after we've begun our relationship and been baptized, you know, William will continue throughout the rest of his life to come to Jesus so that at the end, as his faith becomes sight, Jesus comes to him in the renewal of all things. It's an unbelievable thing. But I want to invite you to make it a practice to come to Jesus and to do so multiple times a day. That doesn't mean you pray the sinner's prayer multiple times a day. That's, that's not it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about coming to your Lord as the one whom he loves so very dearly. And the way I do it, uh, this paradigm may help you. Uh, S-A-A, stop, approach, abide. That's how I do it. So sometimes when I'm getting into a frenzy, it's Shark Week. I think it's still Shark Week. Shark Week has become Shark Weeks. Those of you who know what I'm talking about, watch nerd TV, you get it. Uh, but you see the sharks get into the frenzy, the feeding frenzy, you know, and that's right where the people get in the cage and get in the middle of them because they're crazy. Um, sometimes life feels like a frenzy, doesn't it? It's just frenzied. And, and in the middle of the frenzy, you have the ability to stop, approach Jesus, and abide in him. So, so literally, stop. Psalm 46.10 says what? Be still and know that I am God. It may be for two seconds, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, but to stop, literally, unless you're driving a car or flying a plane or something like that, stop. Be still. Literally, let your hands hang down. You say, sometimes my mind is going so much that I can't stop. For me, I've found that it's helpful to pray out loud. Now, I don't do that, you know, in the aisle in the middle of the store because people look at you funny, okay? 
Although these days they may think you're just on a Bluetooth conversation. Stop and say, and, and, and this, is, this is for me. I just stop. Lord, you're God and I'm not. I'll be still before you. Because sometimes I feel like it all rests on my shoulders, and guess what? It never rests on my shoulders. He's God, I'm not. Stop. That word in Psalm 46:10, be still, it literally means let your hands hang down. Do nothing. Stop. Take a breath. Enter the presence of God. We approach him. In Matthew 11:28, he says, "Come to me." So we come to him. John Eldridge, one of my favorite authors, is a Christian counselor, and he encourages people to embrace a practice that he calls benevolent detachment. And, and what that is, is, is just it, from a therapeutic stance, it's talking about enmeshment and how we can become enmeshed with people, places, and things, and, and we've got to detach. And, and he calls this benevolent detachment because it's allowing us to rest in God's grace. And, and so this is, this is all that means, that we're, we're taking 1 Peter 5, 7 at its word. We're casting our anxieties on God because he cares for us. So the prayer that Eldridge invites us to pray is this, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. You're God, and I'm not. You can, and I cannot. I give everyone and everything to you. And I'm going to tell you, that's a freeing prayer for me because I like to be in control, don't you? I like to be in charge, don't you? I mean, you can tell. Have you ever had a procedure where you couldn't drive for a while? How'd that feel? You lost your independence. You had to rely on other people. Isn't that awful? Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my wife. I'm worried about our church. I'm worried about it. I, I, I can't do anything about any of it. I give everyone and everything to you. And here's the trick. You're doing the most impactful thing you can do in that moment. You're trusting the one who is God over all. So in a posture of childlike dependency upon our all-powerful and loving Lord, we surrender ourselves and our anxieties to him, seeking to leave them in his capable hands and seeking his will on whatever we need to do next. And then we abide. So we've stopped, we've approached Christ, and now we just abide. Jesus said in John 15, over and over, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. As my Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. We abide. We rest. We quit concentrating for a moment on all that we are called to do, and we remember that Jesus first calls us to be to be children of God by Jesus' grace, to be disciples of Christ, to be beloved by our Heavenly Father. Now, there are things we're called to do, okay? This is not a call to, to asceticism. This is not a call necessarily to a monasticism. This is not a call to just throw your hands up and do nothing. No, that's not it. But we got to get it in the right order. We get so busy doing for God that we forget to be with God. And what God desires for us more than anything is to be with Him. That's why His call 
to every disciple has always been, follow me. Come on. Come with me. Be with me. Remember that your primary call is not to do for God, but to be with God through Jesus. Listen to how Jesus finishes this. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our third and final point. We rest in God when we trust and follow Jesus. I trust Jesus. If I can trust Jesus with my eternal life, that his death and resurrection, that his grace toward me is enough that I won't go to an eternal hell that I deserve, if I can trust him with my everlasting life, then I can trust him with my temporal life, and if I can trust him with my temporal life, I can trust him right now. And so I'll trust him. I'll make the conscious decision to trust him because sometimes my feelings go places I could never imagine they would go. So in that moment, I return to what I know, not just what I feel, but what I know, that God is for me, not against me. God loves me so much that he sent his son for me. He has plans for me that are applicable here on this earth, but they extend on into eternity. I go back to what I know. I trust Jesus, and I follow him. So I focus on doing what is pleasing to him. There's, there's always a next right step that may or may not have anything to do with whatever it is you've just released to the Lord by giving him everyone and giving him everything. And you know what the next right thing is? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll, you'll obey my commandments. And what did he say? The, the, the summation of the commandments, the big two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So whatever I'm going through, as I take a moment to be the child of God that he has made me by his grace, to be with him, and I'm asking, okay, what do I need to do? You know what you can do? You can love God and you can love people. And that may look like whoever shows up in front of you. Maybe a server. Maybe somebody at a gas station. Maybe a pedestrian. Maybe somebody who forgot to use their turn signal in traffic. You say, well, how do I love them in a way that shows them I love them? Well, you can abstain from certain communications, but you can also choose internally. I love that person. That's, that's a human being created in the image of God. And yeah, they just about killed us both, but I'm going to love them right now. You get what I'm saying? I can stop. I can approach the Lord. I can abide in Him. And I can love Him and I can love people right now. Come to me, Jesus says. I am the comforter. At the bottom of your notes, I've included this passage in the message. I love this. This is Eugene Peterson's interpretation and paraphrase of Jesus' words. Are you tired? worn out, burned out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me 
and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly.